Hey super friends and welcome to this, the 20th edition of the Get Your Comic On podcast. Woo! With, uh, with me, Neil and Martin. Say hello Martin! Hello Martin! This week we have quite a lot to be telling you about it, actually. Uh, so we've got two films, we've got Asterix, The Secret of the Magic Potion that I went to see last week. Yeah, last week. We're also going to be talking to you about uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics latest animated movie Batman Hush. TV-wise, we've got episodes 8, 9, and 10 of Swamp Thing. And because you voted for it in our poll on social media, we're going to be looking at the second season trailer of Titans. You're very excited about that, aren't you? I'm not sure I'm going to have much to say, to be honest with you. I think a pig just flew by the window. (laughs) And then you've got to complete your two comics challenge and tell us about a contemporary and a classic comic book. I'm also going to be talking about a comic book. And then, drumroll please... Because this is our 20th edition, we also have a, uh, a competition courtesy of our friends at Warner Brothers. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> well, not us, because we don't get the prize, but uh, somebody at home will be. Well, that's why I was meaning the, the listeners. So first up this week, we're going to be talking to you about episodes 8, 9 and 10 of Swamp Thing. So episode 8 was called The Long Walk Home. This was the episode where after a harrowing journey of survival through the swamp, Avery comes face to face with Swamp Thing, who rescues the injured man after recovering. Avery vows to return to Woodrue to help find a cure, but they may not be able to be trusted. Bum bum bum. That was a bit weirdly worded. Uh, But um, what do you remember of this one? Because it's been a couple of weeks since we watched it. What I remember of this one? Um, that's a good question. This is the episode that has uh, Adrian Barbeau in it as a guest star. She was the the new head of the CDC, so she was Abby Arcane in one of the old classic Swamp Thing movies. She's also the voice of Catwoman in Batman the Animated Series. Ah, perfect. <laughs> Not Eartha Kitt, no. What I remember, so this one was a good episode because I had lots of Swamp Thing gore. So when he was healing... Avery's wound. You got yep. to see the little wiggly, wormy bits going through the the gunshot wound in his thigh, which is a bit gross. Yes, I remember when you just said Swamp Thing gore. I thought you were jumping ahead to uh, the anatomy lesson that comes next. No, I mean this is more like practical wound healing yeah. gore. I was expecting there to be a little bit more of what happened to Avery while he was in the swamp. I didn't think he would come out being quite so human. You know what I mean? I thought he would be changed a bit more. Or it might just be that there wasn't enough time to explore what happened to him while he was in there, given that there was only two episodes left after this. No, there's probably not enough time to do that. That would have been quite cool, though. Somebody, like, infected by the raw or some weird stuff. Exactly, that's what... I mean, there was a split second where I thought they were going to decide to change who was the Floronic Man, and it wouldn't be Woodrow, it would be um, it would be Avery. Did you not think there was going to be a little bit more to it than there was? I was hoping there would be, but realistically we only had two episodes left, so... I think this was the point where they maybe started re-editing episodes to trim some of the things that might have been going on that would have gone on longer. Trim some of the leaves. <laughs> Thank you for that analogy. Because this is this is the last time we see Harlan because this is the episode where he, he goes around to visit Abby in her apartment and takes her the pizza and then he gets kidnapped afterwards which is all part of tying her up with the Conclave who then don't really amount to much through the course of the next two episodes. No, I suppose this is everything has to ramp up really, really quickly at this point. And I think you can tell that it becomes a little bit obvious. The show does start to fall apart a little bit towards the end. 
not that it ever becomes unwatchable, but you can tell at this point that something is going on behind the scenes that means that things have to suddenly tie up. Yeah, you can really feel that something's like, come on, come on, type faster. Running out of money. <laughs> Get to the end. Only film Swamp Thing from the neck up. <laughs> but it was nice that they had more Swamp Thing in this one. After seven episodes we finally get to see a bit more of him but he's actually a bit more of a main character and not a cameo yeah it was good it's him that's taken so long but I can see if it was a longer series then it would have made it would have felt not as long probably would have made more sense not what I'm saying right now other than that I didn't feel that there was much to this episode no it was a shame really because it felt like it was almost like a bit of a this was like a it's like a stopgap to the end because episode 9 feels very much like the end and then as it is titled episode 10 was tying up the loose ends so this, I think this was a really awkward growing pain between what it should have been and what it ended up having to be yeah it's like they got to this point and then the money ran out there were some really good visuals with Avery uh, kind of walking around the swamp though before Swamp Thing got to him some good camera angles some good crazy cinematography lots of blurry shots and it was all a bit weird and wonderful and uh, this was where we saw visions of his dad am I right? Yeah so that was quite interesting you got to see a bit of his past and how he's, I think his dad was killed by the rot or it seems like it didn't it An so you got to see tree. some flashbacks to that I just do you know what I'll be completely honest I don't really like the character of Avery not even his turtle soup. Turtle soup. I, don't, I know he's a character from the comics, but he's been less interesting than his wife. She's had the more interesting storyline. So that was really... So her character sort of ramped up a lot in episode 8, where she started what? to pool everything together. Yeah. Become she's... the mastermind businesswoman. Yeah. It's, uh, she's just gone from bubbling in the background to taking over. But like I said, I think in our last time we talked about Swamp Thing, that I just didn't think casting her it would be a bit part role she's not a bit part actress because she's got some acting chops yes yes she does so that episode led us into episode 9 which was called the anatomy lesson the synopsis for this episode was whilst Abby and Liz track down the secret conclave facility Jason Woodrow conducts experiments on Swamp Thing and makes an incredible discovery now, I don't know about you, but this one felt like the last episode to me. It did. There was a... This one went at quite a breakneck sort of speed. And there was a there was a lot going on. It was. There was so much that happened. What was your favourite bit of this one? I realise I didn't ask you that about episode 8, but I just... Episode 8 feels quite a long time ago and I've sort of... I think that's probably the most forgettable episode of the season for me. It's very telling in itself. Uh, but what was your favourite part of this one? So we got to see a bit of the, the Blue Devil. Yeah. Well, we got to see more than a bit of him. He, well, you got to see all of him, and he wasn't quite looking like I expected him to either. What were you expecting him to look like? Well, I had this whole theory in my head that he was going to put that blue mask on that was the prop from when he played him in the film, and that it was going to sort of melt and stick to him, and it would... Because you know, it's supposed to be a costume in the comics, isn't it? I wasn't expecting him to go full-on prosthetic bodysuit real devil. What did you think of how he looked? I thought he was alright. He was a bit... Um, it was quite menacing. He was a bit horror. Yeah, very. He was very horror. In the comics, he does 
look like that, but not as horror. There were a lot of different elements to this episode. So you had that, so in in that you had him in as the Blue Devil, but you saw him seeing what happened early in the episode and them dying, to him then fixing it when he did it later on, to what was happening with Avery and uh, Mrs. Avery. <laughs> Suddenly forgotten her first name. Uh, to what's also happening with Jason and Swamp Thing as well. There's three different storylines that are going on at this point just because they've got so much to tie up in such a short space of time. Yeah, it felt like they were saying, right, let's get everybody an ending now. Maria, by the way. Was the name I've forgotten there. Let's take them one by one. So, Blue Devil we liked. Yeah, it was alright. I didn't... I mean, we got to see a bit of the stranger, so he came and gave yep. him the ultimatum and all that jazz. Um, but he didn't wear his hat. He held it in this one. Yeah. I don't know I want to see him wear his hat. Okay. <laughs> um... I didn't like the the eye thing. I wasn't when they like burned them up inside. Yeah, and then not a lot happened with him after this, other than in the next one he just drives off and leaves Murray, and that's it. Yeah. But then they had to tie it up, so that was it. It just it, it tied up really, really, really quickly. He became um, the devil, and that was it. So becoming the devil freed him from his pact to stay in Murray as well. So I'm guessing that the entire point of him being there was to make sure she didn't die in that scene. Because the thing that we've been teasing was that he was tied to Abby, and that's what Madame Xanadu had said to him in the beginning. That, you know, it's about it's about her. She's what ties this all together. She's the centre. She came back for a reason, and he felt like he was tied to Abby. And then all he—I mean, he saved her life in this one. But are we saying he had to hang around for years for her to come back, for him to save her in this one scene, for her to free Swamp Thing? It's a bit tenuous. It is a little bit. Because I thought he would have been there to help Swamp Thing. Maybe he was supposed to be there to help Swamp Thing, but they just ran out of time. Maybe. But it was too obvious for him to be there for Abby. And they didn't even really interact with her in any way either. That's the other thing. No. But you had the stranger interact with Swamp Thing and then interact with Blue Devil. Yeah. Then you thought, is he there? Are they there to sort of support each other? But then it all just was a bit like, oh, no money, quick. Finish it. I feel sad to say that because we've given this such high ratings all the way through and I still haven't written reviews of 8, 9 and 10 um, and I would still give them good scores but you just you can feel the show struggling because it's coming to an end. Okay, Park Blue Devil what did you think of uh, the um, stuff that was going on between Avery and uh, I was going to call her Virginia that's her real name uh, Maria in this episode for anybody that can hear any extra noises uh, Martin does have a cat on his lap right now who is a little bit restless so it was an interesting dynamic to bring back Avery and then have him challenge her position in power because she spent the last episode trying to sort of take over take over and then it all kind of come crashing down and we see the real sinister elements of Avery the lens that he would go to he didn't really tolerate any of her sort of behaviour from the previous episode, did he? No, he was having none of it. And he just... In the van, off you go, sectioned, despite not actually being crazy. But then turned crazy incredibly quickly. Well, she was drugged. But I thought that was like anti-crazy drugs, not... I think they gave her the crazy drugs. Well, I don't know, I don't know if such a drug exists. He put her in an asylum and gave her the crazy drugs. Are we saying that she had a she had a breakdown at the start, 
then became the business room for an episode and then went back to crazy. It was very quick. I believe it was officially explained away that she was drugged up by being in the asylum. Mm. <laughs> so it's a bit weird, isn't it? Not convinced. To go from, I'm seeing my dead daughter, to I'm going to kill my husband and I'm incredibly lucid and I completely understand that you've been cheating on me for years and I'm going to kill you along with the woman who you were cheating on me with and then I'm going to take over your business and I'm going to be the big bad boss lady but you've made me have another mental breakdown by throwing me in an asylum so I wasn't crazy until you came and got me but now you've got me and put me in a padded room I'm crazy very similar to the blue devil <coughs> tenuous at best <laughs> that's a little bit harsh um, and then you've got third and probably biggest storyline of the episode which is at the autopsy of Swamp Thing some excellent special effects in this sequence. Practical and uh, visual effects as well, I thought. It was very well done. And it took us right into one of the major arcs of the comics. It took us right into the crevice of Swamp Thing. That was his chest cavity. That's a very disturbing image, but yes, it did. He had it. lots of oddly misshapen vegetables for uh, internal organs. He had a cabbage for a heart. <laughs> a couple of kidney beans for his kidneys. <laughs> Oh, that was terrible. Oh, dear. But it was interesting to get to see that and how they then explained it to Swamp Thing that we finally got to know that he was not Alec. He was a creation of the swamp that was just stuck with Alex. Well, this is a question. Was he stuck with Alex's memories or did he have Alex's soul? What was he? Well, I think we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is a soul? Jason seemed very adamant that he was not Alec he was just something that had Alec's memories whereas Abby seemed to be slightly more philosophical about the whole thing and felt like it was the spirit of Alec I suppose you could debate that for days really couldn't you that's a real deep philosophical discussion probably a bit too deep for this calibre of podcast who are you suggesting that we're not qualified for that kind of conversation well probably not <laughs> I'd agree with you there you do have a masters in the arts so you know Thank you very much. Um, I really liked his emotional reaction to the stuff that was happening in those scenes, though. Because we haven't seen Derek Mears in the in the Swamp Thing costume sort of emote all that much. He's been very much sort of in the shadows and hasn't... There's not been very much by way of sort of facial expressions or anything like that, so we've not really been able to see what the costume could do in that respect. And to see him lying on that table, sort of screaming in pain, while Jason was just hacking away at him, was quite a—it's quite tough to watch, actually. But was it pain, or was it more of a, again, a philosophical place of deep down, I know that I've got a cabbage for a heart, and the more you dig in there, the more it hurts to realise that I'm not really Alec. Well, it could have been either one. It's very existential of you. Um, I mean, I took it. When I watched it the first time at face value that he was just feeling pain, but could he actually feel pain? Do just plants plant. have feelings? Well, there's plenty of questions that you can, <laughs> you can ask. I suddenly feel like it. we've gone a little bit too far here and it's gone way above our pay grade. Um, anything that you sort of didn't really connect with in the, this episode? No, I mean, I thought it was good. It was just very... Everything had to end really quickly. And it almost, was weird how this felt like a season finale, though. And it kind of felt like, oh, so what are the loose ends? Yeah, I didn't really feel like there were any loose ends. 
as such. I felt like it could have ended with this one. Yeah, it could have ended with this one and it would have been not a satisfying ending, but it would have worked as an ending. But then, taking us into episode 10, do you feel like we had a satisfying ending with episode 10 that was called Loose Ends? No, I don't think we're ever going to get a satisfying ending, to be well, honest. Well, not now. It's over. Uh, so, synopsis for this last episode reads, Swamp Thing and Abby make life-changing decisions to remain in Moray and try to combat the darkness together. I don't know about you, but that wasn't what I took away from this episode. No, I don't... I've... I'm still not entirely sure what the point of this series was, because there was nothing... There was no big bad. No, there wasn't. There was no. There was lots of starts, well, but there was no conclusion to anything. Well, there, really? Give, I mean, me, give me the big bad. Who was the? Well, there was no big the rot, maybe. But we only saw that once. Avery. What did he do? He killed quite a few people. But why? He made tweedle soup. He didn't do anything menacing, though, did he? I mean, he went after Swamp Thing in this one again. He had the whole of the conclave after him. What did the conclave do? Very little. Mm. But they had a very good fight sequence where they got torn apart. They did. The gore came back strong to see someone having their jaw ripped off in this one. But you're right. There was ultimately lots of things going on, but no real reason for them to go on. There was there's lots of little stories. Well, maybe Jason Woodrow was going to be the big bad given the after credit sequence where we saw him as Floronic Man, which was kind of... would have been a tease if there was to be any more, but instead it's more of an F.U. and a ha-ha, this is what you're missing out on now situation. Yeah, that was a shame. He would have been a good big bad. From what we saw in that scene, yeah, he would have. Um, but not going to happen now. But it's just it was, it was a very strange mix of tying up things that didn't really make a huge amount of sense in the end. They didn't. It closed off everything that was going on, but it hadn't culminated in anything, as it were. It was like build up, build up, build up, and we're done. Felt very sorry for Lucilia in this one, the uh, police lady. Macheted in her own car and then left in her boot to drown. Yeah, that was a shame. However, in the swamp, so chances are she would re-emerge as something. Lady Swamp Thing. I don't even think you could really say that anyone had a happy ending, apart from the very tenuously, possibly, maybe, Swamp Thing, even though he found out he wasn't who he thought he was, and Abby, because she made the decision to stay in Murray with him. Yeah, they're kind of happy, I suppose. Maria's not happy. No. Well, she is a little bit. She was happy. She had a happy ending. <laughs> of sorts. I suppose you're right, actually, because the ghost of the dead daughter came back to her and said she'd stay with her forever, so she's in a drug-fueled happy place. Well, it wasn't drug-fueled. It was Xanadu that did that. Because she did some... She couldn't... Oh, she did some hoodoo. Yeah, she couldn't fix the situation, but she was able to reunite, reunite her with her daughter in some way. I felt that character ended up being quite wasted. She was in that first couple of episodes and she disappeared for a long time and reappeared again at the end. But then, again, could have been a subplot that ended up being taken out of it. 
Yeah, it could have been a bigger storyline towards the Raw that we never really got to see much with. Who knows? It's just, it's so difficult to decide how to look at this ending because it shouldn't have been the ending and they didn't know it was the ending up until the very last second so they couldn't do that much with it. Um, but then with the time that they did have they didn't really do anything that then made it a satisfying end. I suppose they didn't find out so quite late on that there was no money so how do you then fix that when you're... Well we still don't know that it was no money. I mean they were given time to change and rewrite the ending. So they were given time to give it an ending, but how much time and how much money they had to do that, I don't know. But it definitely feels like they just sort of limped over the finish line with an excellent post-credit scene <laughs> that's just quite frustrating. But you never know, I might get picked up by somebody else. They're not, as far as I'm aware, they're not shopping it to anywhere else. So oh, there's no, there's absolutely no discussion or chatter or anything of it going anywhere on the internet. So no one is. That's it's just that's it. That, that it will just be fondly remembered. We'll have to start a new trend. Hashtag bring back the green. Oh, every time I post something about Swamp Thing on social media, someone puts hashtag save Swamp Thing. So it's already, the movement is there, but there's no there's no talk of it. So I don't think it will. So I guess reflecting on the whole 10 episodes, what are your final thoughts on Swamp Thing before we sign off for this series? It's very Jerry Springer of you. I think it was good... But it was a shame that it couldn't reach its full potential because of the obvious limitations. I would agree. If you were to look at the season as one whole product, is there a score that you think you'd be able to give it? Can you assign a score for the season as a whole? I think I would have to go with a solid... Why do you always say solid? Well, it's very solid, isn't it? It's unmovable. That's what you say. Okay. So you're going to give it a solid... Well, I'm, well, I'll change that. I'm going to give it a rickety six and a half. Oh, that's quite low, actually. That's a shame, because you've been you've missed it since it ended. And you were compelled to watch it every time there was a new episode. Oh. I said it's rickety. It could go up or down. I feel, I feel quite sad for you. I think I'd still give it a probably a seven. I know I gave a lot of the early episodes a 10, but I think as you get towards the end, it fizzles out a little bit. So I think probably a 7 or a 7.5 out of 10. That's only half a point higher than me. And ticks into a whole other point bracket. Well. Oh, that's an argument for another day. That's the end of Swamp Thing. You can binge the whole series on DC Universe now. Uh, hopefully one day it will come over here so that there'll be a, um, a um, legal way for you to watch it in the UK. I guess would be the best way to put that. <laughs> um, legitimate. That's better. The legitimate way for you to watch it in this country. But um, it's been it's been enjoyable. We're going to have to find a new regular series now. Uh, roll on Harley Quinn. That's all I can say. So, I set you a challenge two weeks ago, which was to review not one but two comic books, both a contemporary and a classic from the uh, from the vaults. Now, I didn't stipulate that one of them was not DC, so I'm guessing they probably both are, and I'm going to presume that both of them are Teen Titans, and I would like one of them to be from the George Perez, Marv Wolfman era, please. Well, I think I'll start with the, the modern day comic. If that okay. Is okay, and what is your modern day comic that you are telling us about? So the modern day comic is, do you want, do you want to try and guess? It's not a Teen Titans. All right, okay, go on. Uh, give me a clue. So it's DC. Doom Patrol. No. 
I said modern day. Oh, sorry. Okay. Although uh, I did read the modern day Doom Patrol. And you didn't like it? I didn't like it. But we'll save that for another day. Okay. Clue. It's following a theme. Red Hood Annual. How does that follow a theme? I don't know. Is it right? No. No. Okay. Try again. What's the theme? The theme for today. What's the theme for today? Well, we've just... Talked about Swamp... Oh, Swamp Thing! Yes, hold on. Justice League Dark Annual featuring Swamp Thing. Yes. Way. Okay, sorry. Carry on. I will uh, now back away from the microphone. Back away. It's like podcasting with Lassie. So, Justice League Dark Annual number one. Swamp Thing Exiled. So this is the first annual for this incarnation. What is it? Sorry to cut you off. I will leave this in the podcast just because... Can you hear the excitement in my voice? I can see the excitement on your face. Uh, I released my review of Deceased number four today, written by Tom Taylor, who just retweeted my review of Deceased. I mean, he said thank you to me the other day for uh, something nice that I said about it. But he just retweeted my review. My tweet says, Tom Taylor made delivers the biggest gut punch of the series to date. Read more. Review of Deceased. I feel a little bit excited. Continue reviewing your comic book. So James Tynan IV and Ram V, I think, or Ram V, um, are the writers and artwork is by RF Pariento. I've probably said that wrong as well. So I don't know if you've been reading Justice League Dark anyway, but this sort of picks up with some of the aftermath of what's been going on with the crisis with magic and all the stuff with the Chaos Stone and the Orders of Fate. But ultimately the storyline focuses heavily towards Swamp Thing. So he's dealing with the aftermath of the fact that the Parliament of Trees was burned down and that happened during the the Witching Hour storyline, which involved Hecate and Wonder Woman and all that stuff. So essentially the Green has lost the Parliament of Trees and Swamp Thing feels like he's a failure and he's no longer the champion of the Green anymore because he failed in his duty to protect it. So as a result of the trees being gone, the parliament is gone, a new parliament has risen and taken over. And this is the Parliament of the Flowers. So this the storyline, the first half of the storyline focuses on the Parliament of the Flowers selecting their new champion for the green. So Swamp Thing is essentially um, redundant. He's, he's not got any purpose. He's lost most of his powers. He's lost his connection to the green. He's just, he's just there being swampy. So the storyline is quite sad, so we, we pick up on our new champion, so Flower Man, or the Flower King, sorry, um, and he's made out of roses, but they're the roses of his dead body. Oh. Because he, there's a, quite a sad story where um, him and his wife are scientists and they're trying to grow plants in inhospitable environments, but they lost their son and you know his, his wife is really struggling with that, so they have lots of fights and things, and she then goes away. She has to get some time away from him, so she goes and stays with friends and family, and he throws himself into work. And as the storyline progresses, it, you know we're led to believe that he died in an accident, but actually he killed himself in a fire. That sounds quite depressing. It was quite sad, um, just because he couldn't deal with the loss of his son, and then he comes back as the, the Flower King. So Swamp Thing goes to him um, to try and support him with this change and transition into being the new Guardian or Champion of the Green unfortunately another ex-champion of the green gets there before him you may 
has known him as the Floronic Man. Ah, so Woodrow is involved. So Woodrow is involved, and he's looking pretty horrific in the artwork, as I will show you a picture. Nobody else can see it, but you can see it. Oh, wow. Um, he looks like an angry elf. He does look like an angry elf. Uh, an angry elf with uh, 90s curtain hairdo. Bit weird. Woodrow's leading the new Flower King down the wrong path and saying to him, like, you've got all this power, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. So what he does is, so his wife comes back and obviously mourns his passing, so he uses his power to create a new child for his wife. Oh, okay. And and it kinda, it's kind of sweet in a way because he kind of builds these children out of flowers and they look like normal kids and ultimately, I think he builds about three or four of them and then the wife... She lives fairly happily because she's got a purpose again. So the first kid that you build is almost identical to the son that they lost. And that's quite sweet. Um, but then Swamp Thing sort of realises and finds his old... His old... Um, swampiness? No, his swampiness. He finds the scientist's old notes. Because ultimately, what's the point of a flower? They look really pretty and then they die. Oh... And that's what happened to all the kids. So they looked really pretty and brought lots of happiness for a long, for a period of time. And then essentially winter came and then flowers die. So it wasn't a long period of time. It was a, a reasonable amount of period of time. But then all the kids died. And then the wife was sad again. <laughs> and oh. It's, yeah. And then Swamp Thing tries to help. But Woodrow goes full on Floronic Man and beats Swamp Thing down to a pulp. And then it ends ultimately with Woodrow eating the Flower King because he's so broken that he thought he brought his wife happiness and was, you know, making amends for things, but actually made everything worse. And Woodrow was there sowing the seeds of doubt and he managed to convince him just to sort of mulch and then he ate him and then absorbed the power of the green. So we end it with Woodrow being the the guardian of the of the green again so everything went full circle so it kind of it almost went full circle but you know we've got That's a very powerful image we've got woodrow looking like he normally does but with added flower power yes and is that the shape of the flower king on the ground yeah so that's the what's that's, left of him that's the potpourri that was left behind <laughs> you just had to go and take that somber moment and make it comical didn't you yeah Sorry, but ultimately, as with all DC comics at this moment in time, the very last panel linked into the year Ooh, of the villain. Year of the villain. Uh, so, who did Lex come after? So it wasn't Lex this time. So it was Circle. She, she is one of the. She's like the last remaining all-powerful Greek goddess. Yeah. But in the last issue of Justice League Dark, Lex went to her. So she's now recruited Floronic Man to the cause. Oh, interesting. I don't know that I've seen. Someone not Lex recruiting any of the others. Yeah. So Circle's been quite important in the whole Witch in Our um, Hecate Wonder Woman storyline and she's got a bigger part to play. She's got the thing. Yeah. The thing on her head. The the Hecate thing. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Uh, the thing it's... from when Wonder Woman went witchy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the reason I've lost the power of speech is because I was just thinking she really, really, really looks like a Power Rangers villain. She does. She's quite. Um, I can imagine that being repulsive. a weird plastic costume that someone was wearing, and it would have a very maniacal laugh. I'd imagine she does a really good maniacal laugh. <laughs> cool. So, what made you want to tell us about this? 
I thought it fit in really nicely because I know we're going to be talking about Swamp Thing anyway and this is sort of the, the other extreme of Swamp Thing where it's very similar, he's had a really rough ride. Yeah. And all hope is pretty much gone and Floronic Man eats a guy. So. <laughs> okay, so what score would you give this comic book? Do you know what? It was really sad, but it was really sweet at the same time. So I really enjoyed this. So I'm going to give it a, uh, an 8. Not a solid 8. No, I'm going to give it a, a wafty, nice potpourri smelling 8. Okay. And uh, where can the listeners at home pick up this wonderful comic book? Where all good comic books are bought. Well done. I've taught you well, young Padawan. I look forward to hearing your classic comic book a little bit later on. But now it's movie time. So the first film that we're going to be talking about this week is actually one that you haven't seen because I went to see it by myself. Uh, But it is Asterix, The Secret of the Magic Potion. Before we have a quick chat about this, have a little listen to the movie's trailer. Not once did I even sprain an ankle. Not once. From now on, I cannot be the only one to know the formula to the magic potion. I will set forth in search of a young successor that I can entrust it to. This is a disaster, Obelix. Who knows what'll happen if the magic potion falls into the wrong hands? Get a fix. Can you think of a list of young druids in Gaul with a good reputation? Yeah, I think we keep crib notes somewhere. Crib notes? Teeny little cribby wibby. So cute. I won't tell if you don't. And of course, the ultimate lame brains couldn't cook up an onion soup to save their lives. Now, these guys are pretty worthless, but they still manage a trick or two. In Carnage Forest, I'm known as Magnetic. These are all straight A's. Go easy on the swagger. Hail Caesar. This mm-hmm. potion, I can bring it to you. The potion of the wackos? Up to your old tricks, demonix. Tonight marks the end of these mustachioed morons. The end of Asterix. I pour this one into that one. You think you're a druid. Can't be that much harder than being a fishmonger. Attack! No, Obelix, fast! What are you adding that for? Same thing happens every time. This one's different. By ten, if it hasn't exploded, then we're safe. One. <laughs> if you're as good a druid as a fishmonger, we should sell tickets. So, what's up, you big tub of lard? Check out your tongue. Squawk! I'll show you who's the man. Huh? Guess it's worn off now. Well, best things come to an end and all that. Nice time with you. <laughs> So this film actually came out in France uh, last year, which is obviously the home of the Asterix franchise. And it's just now coming to English-speaking countries. So it hits the UK and Ireland on the 30th of August. This was a bit of a random one because generally when we go to a screening, it's because it's a film we're really interested in and we've written to the studio or whichever PR company is representing it and said, are you doing any screenings? Can we come along? Whereas this one, I got an invite out of the blue that said, would you like to come and see it? So I went to the Soho screening rooms for the first time. Um, very, very small room. 
only about 40 seats and I was a very very small fish in a very very big pond of print journalists with notebooks being very intense in their note taking throughout the film whilst I was sat there sort of enjoying myself and wishing that I had popcorn what did you think of the film this is an interesting one actually because there were a couple of people there that had kids with them and I kind of split my time between watching the film and watching the reactions of the people that were in the room and it was really obvious that the kids were really enjoying it and I felt like there was a nostalgia factor because I was a fan of Asterix books when I was younger but that only lasted me for a certain period in the film and then personally for me I felt like I was a little bit taken out of it towards the end but could see that it was really quite enjoyable for the younger people that were there so my my kind of my review comes out on the 28th um which is just you know a couple of days before the film hits cinemas uh, because I said to the to the studio that we do some stuff to try and promote it in the week of release but what I said to them was that I felt like this is a really good film for families to go and see at the cinema together so I wouldn't necessarily like I wouldn't necessarily say you and I should go and watch it together um but if you know like friends with kids i would say to them definitely go and watch this all together because it'd be a great viewing experience and i think you get the most out of it if you were probably a fan of asterix when you were younger and now you're grown up and you've got kids that maybe have seen a couple of the books but aren't overly familiar with it so you know you take the family to see it it's a bit nostalgic for you it reminds you of something that you enjoyed when you were a kid and you can see your kids enjoying it if that makes sense that makes sense what was that about so asterix um, and his little village are being attacked by the Romans as they always are but their their head druid who is called Getafix <laughs> one for the adults um, falls out of a tree and uh, breaks his leg and essentially decides that he, he's too old to be the only person that understands the secret recipe for the magic potion that gives them their strength because you remember that the whole story the whole premise of Asterix is that his tiny village of Gaul is like the only place in France that holds up against the Roman Empire as they're trying to invade. And the reason that they do that is because they have a magic potion that makes them super strong. I don't think I've ever seen Asterix. All right, okay. Uh, well, so, yeah, tiny village, magic potion, stops the Romans. So this druid from the village is the only person that can do it. So he decides to go travelling around the rest of the country to find someone to take over from him. But uh, there is a nefarious villain who wants the recipe and so it's kind of it goes on about that so it becomes less about the roman uh, invasion than it does about trying to uh, keep the recipe of the magic potion safe interesting it is and it's a really well made film the animation so it's cgi so it's it's 3d animated it's not like a 2d animation or anything uh, it's really well done and it was clearly made by people with a strong passion for the franchise because the, it's not like a modern version it's modern storytelling but the the look of all the characters is absolutely spot on nothing has changed about the visuals of the whole thing overall thoughts for this one i scored it a seven out of ten in my review uh i just i think that for me i am a little bit too old for, for being the target market it's aimed at kids and it's aimed at families and i am neither a child nor a family so it wasn't quite for me personally but not in a way that it was a bad film, just in that I was not the target market for it. And actually, there's a lot there that would be enjoyable for the for the right people. 
So as I've just been talking about it, I've actually just looked this up to double check the release date and it's changed. <laughs> um, it's gone back a week. So it was due in cinemas on Friday the 30th of August. It's now uh, due to release on the 7th of September, which is a Saturday actually, perfectly aimed at uh, a children's market. So yeah, as I said, out at the end of the month, my review's coming out properly on the 28th of August on the website, so you'll be able to check out my full thoughts then. But I just, there is, if you enjoyed Asterix when you were a kid, there is definitely something to enjoy here. So make sure to go and give it a watch. I'm looking at you as if it's your turn to say something, and it's actually me for a comic book review now, isn't it? Yep. I've got my feet up. <laughs> so I'm going off DC, because you're, <sighs> I believe, doing two DC comics. Not that I actually know what your second one is. And I am going to talk to you about Marvel's Absolute Carnage number one. Is this what um, Nicola had in her bag? Yes, it is, it is what Nicola had in her bag. Uh, so Martin would be referring to when we went to see Batman Hush last week because we went to see it at Warner Brothers head office in London, which was very much fun. Uh, and we will tell you all about it in a minute. And we went with Nicola from We Have a Hulk and she had been comic book shopping and had picked up Absolute Carnage. Uh, so it's written by Donny Cates with pencils by Ryan Stegman and inks by J.P. Mayer. Colours are by Frank Martin and letters from VC's Clayton Cowles. There's actually a handy little synopsis at the front of this issue, which might help. So I'm going to I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to try uh, and read it in my best reading voice. Going in a comic style. No. So at one of the lowest points of his life, disgraced reporter Eddie Brock came into contact with an aggressive and parasitic alien organism called a symbiote. Sensing Brock's anger, the creature bonded with him, and their union granted him powers similar to those of the Amazing Spider-Man, as well as a number of unique abilities. And the two fought crime as Venom. But Brock and the symbiote are separated now, driven apart after Eddie learned it had been tampering with his memories prior to the War of the Realms. He also learned that he has a son named Dylan, who has been led to believe that Eddie is his older brother. All this while, a familiar evil has been at work on the periphery of Eddie's world, with Eddie and everyone he cares about dead in its sights. Somehow, Brock will need to keep himself and his son alive throughout the coming storm. Absolute carnage! I feel like you have to say it like that. I don't think I'll pass. If you've been reading Donny Cates' version of Venom, then you'll kind of know what to expect, which is a buttload of craziness, basically. Absolute carnage is absolutely nuts. So what Donny Cates has done is add a hell of a lot of mythos to the idea of Venom. So we all know the basic premise of Venom. Uh, you've got the story that's you know been in the films whereby J. Jonah Jameson's son goes up into space, uh, comes back, symbiote comes with him, bonds with Spider-Man, Spider-Man does his emo thing, does his weird little dance in the street with his floppy hair, and then it gets separated from Spidey and goes into Eddie Brock. Or you've got the version from the Tom Hardy film, which is all of that, just without any named characters being involved. What Donny Cates did was add all this crazy, almost like, you could almost call it Game of Thrones-esque. There was a, there's a Venom dragon, there's a king, there's loads that's going on in the background. Which is all to do with, like, the lineage of the symbiote. There's a whole, there's a whole load basically. There's a huge universe that now exists, and this is trying to tie some of that together. And what he's doing is he's saying that because Venom has been cut off, uh, all of the people that Venom has come into contact with have not become part of the symbiote codex, which is like an encyclopedia of anyone the the symbiote has ever come into contact with. If you think of it like a family tree, the first ever drop of venom, at years before Eddie Brock, 
is the beginning of the symbiote and everyone that it's touched it's broken up and left a tiny little piece behind and taken a piece of that person and gone into its little encyclopedia of people and that every single symbiote that now exists in the universe is all connected back into this one original one but the one that is venom has become separated but the one that is carnage is still part of it and it wants everything back that makes sense uh, i think so so basically it starts out with uh, eddie just trying to get by in life without the symbiote and without telling dylan that he's his son uh, but Carnage catches up with them and they soon end up intertwined with Spidey and then they're trying to go after Carnage uh, and they need Norman Osborn at one point because he was part of it and it's all they figure out basically that Carnage is going after anyone that's ever touched Venom to try and get their information for the Codex and it leads to just some quite crazy imagery it's a really good story and Donny Cates has written some really good dialogue but the thing that really attracted me to this book is the artwork. So the artwork is very, very cool. I'm going to show you what Vena, uh, what Carnage looks like at the moment, which is like a, almost like a skeleton. So he's got quite a beefy body, but you can see his spine and stuff because he's not quite whole. Um, and there's just some really cool imagery when it comes to the way the two of them fight and stuff like that that's going on in here. Uh, it's a really, really visual story in that respect. It's quite gruesome as well. Yeah, it's quite gruesome like a skill <laughs> uh, it's also got Miles Morales in it it's got a very muscly Peter Parker uh, uh, no. so it's kind of dragging in the whole Spidey family and trying to uh, contextualise the idea of what was going on in Donny Cates Venom uh, there's also the future version of Reed Richards that's in there, oh, sorry I say future, he's from an alternate universe um, it's just pulling together all of the different plot threads that were in the Venom book and tying in Carnage and making everything absolutely crazy I'm continuing to swipe through and show Martin random pages. It's very impressive. It is. It's really, really cool. And it's an excellent read. And it ends on quite a cliffhanger as well. So uh, when they, when Spidey and Eddie are in the prison where Norman is being held, they they think they've got the one up on Carnage. And he, he turns out that he's broken in. And he lets out all of the all of the inmates in the prison. But they all get touched by Carnage. And they all become Carnage clones. So it's, it's utter Carnage thing. It is absolute Carnage. Uh, and it ends in a pretty uh, precarious spot for basically everyone involved and I can't wait to read more it's quite the only thing I will say and I realise that when I say this you're going to go oh Marvel is that because this is an event there is a checklist at the end so absolute carnage number one absolute carnage number two absolute carnage Miles Morales number one absolute carnage scream number one Absolute Carnage Lethal Protector number one, Absolute Carnage versus Deadpool number one, Absolute Carnage Separation Anxiety number one, Venom 17, and that's just August. This goes on until November. So there's quite a long list of tie ins that go with this. Oh my god. Which I hadn't quite anticipated. <laughs> it's going to take a while to read all of this, but it just seems like a really cool event and something that was worthwhile talking about because I don't often talk about things that aren't DC. And this is a book that is really well written and is really well drawn and coloured as well. And it's one of the only Marvel series that's currently on my subscription. In fact, the only Marvel series that I'm subscribing to are basically Spider-Man and X-Men. And I don't rush to read Spider-Man as much as I rush to read Venom. And that's mainly because of Donny Cates' writing. But as I said, the artwork in this is also awesome. What's your scores on the doors? 9 out of 10. That was quite quick. <laughs> I've thought about this at length. I haven't quite finished my review yet, but it's going to be coming out probably on Monday for you to see my uh, my full non-excited sort of contextual thoughts on this one. 
That feels like a solid 9 out of 10 to me. That is a solid... Well, it was an emphatic 9 out of 10, actually. <laughs> emphatic 9 out of 10. All right, on to our second film of the week. What is uh, our second film, Muddy? It is Batman Silencio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> would you... Okay, would you like me to explain that one, or do you want to explain that one? Well, whenever we open up the Apple TV, when it pops up, it says Batman Silencio. <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason, in a specific view in, a, in Apple TV, when it's telling you what you're kind of lined up to watch next... Uh, it doesn't say Batman Hush. It's, it's Batman Silencio. <laughs> there also there was also a Japanese variation, but I'm not sure how to pronounce that. No, there is. I've noticed that one as well. Yes. So uh, Batman Hush, which is the latest in the DC animated universe movies. Uh, this is another one of the ones that's set in the in the wider universe, along with sort of Death of Superman, Reign of the Superman, and the New Fifty Two type movies, rather than the standalones. It's got Jason O'Mara in it as Batman, Jerry O'Connell's back as Superman. Rebecca Remain as uh, Lois Lane. Really excellent performance by Jennifer Morrison from Once Upon a Time as Catwoman as well. So we're going to have a little chat about this. But of course, what do we do before we have a chat about it? I think there might be a trailer to listen to. Yes, enjoy. done this dance for so long like the view it's the only thing you'll catch tonight is batman your new boy toy i have one too none of this is my fault he made me control superman what's his name he calls himself hush events of the past months reach as high as Superman and as low as the Joker. All were set into motion by Hush. <laughs> Is it too much to ask for one quiet weekend? It's like they're all crawling out from under the carpets now. <laughs> Hush knows me. He's been one step ahead of me the whole time. Tick-tock, trail's going cold. This just gets better and better. The synopsis for this film on IMDb reads, An adaption of the Batman Hush storyline by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. Is that it? Yes, that's actually all it says. Um, Then there is a fan written one which says, Batman Hush is a thrilling mystery of action, intrigue and deception based in New York. What? Oh, based on the New York Times bestseller of the same name penned by Jeff Loeb and illustrated by comic superstar Jim Lee. Batman sets out to discover the identity of a mysterious mastermind using the Joker, Riddler, Rachel Ghoul, and the Dark Knight's other enemies and allies as pawns in a plan to wreak havoc. That's much better than the last synopsis. Yes. So we've seen this twice, actually, now. 
Uh, we watched it once just when it came out on digital and then we saw it again last week at Warner Brothers. It was very exciting. Which it was. Thank you very much, Warner Brothers, for inviting us. Uh, huge crowd of people that we know at that one, which I thought was really cool. I feel like uh, we slightly took over the Warner Brothers head office. Yeah, there was quite a lot. So, uh, Paul from DC World, Nicola from We Have a Hulk, um, Rob and Jim from Earth9 DC, Ben, DC TV, uh, Kibler was there from We Speak Geek, and so was Tasman, who's uh, also the aspiring Kryptonian. Uh, DC Legends was also there. And then randomly, my old friend Sean from uni was there as well. <laughs> Definitely did not expect to see someone who I've not seen in over a decade, like 12, 13 years, randomly in the foyer of Warner Brothers head office. Yes, we, we could see your surprise when we got there. <laughs> Wasn't really quite sure what to do. Did we walk over? Did we not walk over? So we just sort of waited. They put on a really good event for us that night. So there was a little photo booth where you could go and put like Batman props on and take silly photos. So if you follow us on social media, you have seen the picture that we <laughs> we squashed everyone into. I don't know how we all got into that so picture. So there was, what, five of us? Uh, me, you, Nicola, uh, Jim and Rob all in that picture. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. My uh, forehead fills most of it, though, to be fair. I think what you can see is me desperately holding on to your leg in the wall because I was about to fall over. It was very difficult to try and uh, sort of balance on my one knee to be in the picture but not in front of anyone else. Anyway, people don't really care about the picture, they want to hear about the film. So as we said, it's an adaption of uh, the, the series written by Jeff Loeb and illustrated by Jim Lee, which uh, I definitely would say is one of the main reasons I got back into comics after having read them when I was younger and sort of drifting away a little bit. Hush was what brought me back in. When did you read this for the first time? On the way back from San Diego. Last year? Two years, three years ago. Okay. So you came into it very, very late on then. Yeah. So I feel like when we watched this at home the first time, I probably had too much focus on that's different, that's different, that's different. Whereas when we watched it at Warner Brothers, I was much more relaxed because I knew what I was expecting and I enjoyed it. Not that I didn't enjoy it the first time, but I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more the second time. I would agree, partly because the first time I may have fell asleep in the middle. Me too, but to give some context, we had just gotten home from a weekend where we were with my brother and his wife and their five children, who are all uh, 12 and under. 12 down to uh, 18 months, so uh, I think we slept for like a day after that. Yeah, I'm so tired, to be honest <laughs> with you. So uh, it wasn't that it put us to sleep or anything, it was just probably the wrong time to watch the film. It's interesting though, because there are quite a few changes adaptions some some major ones and some less so and i know some people have struggled with that i've been reading reviews that people have put online and some people some people can deal with it and some people are really struggling with anything that's been changed i can understand maybe struggling with the ending but i think a lot of the changes are necessary in adapting the storyline to to, uh, to animation i would agree it was if you take if you've never read it if you've never read the source material then it's a really good story yep and it's well done it's well put together and i really enjoyed it but there are bits of it, it was a bit like oh why did they do that or why did they not do that so you were probably disappointed that jason todd wasn't in it well it's quite an important part of the story <laughs> i feel um i think some of them are really logical so things like huntress uh, Huntress is on the front cover of the book 
and she's not in the film. She's replaced by Batgirl. Makes perfect sense to me because in this, uh, the shared part of the DC animated universe, we've never seen Huntress. She doesn't exist as far as we know. But Batgirl is an established character. So why have someone that you may not know who's not established when you can have somebody who you are more than likely to know and is established? I don't necessarily understand why they switched out Bane and Killer Croc. So the, the, the role that Bane fills is Killer Croc in the book. Uh, that's a bit of a weird one. The only one that I would say I probably didn't like, because most of it I'm fine with, was the changing of the kryptonite ring to spiky kryptonite knuckle dusters. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more sort of... That was very cartoony. It's a bit more badass, really, isn't it? I suppose so, yeah. It, just, it was just a, a bit random. But Fitz being a cartoon... I just feel like most of the stuff that they did was to make sure that it fit in with the rest of the universe that was around them because it had to follow on from Reign of the Superman. So it wasn't Lex Luthor that you went to see in the book, but it is here. And it makes sense because they then have that conversation about how Lex is now a member of the Justice League following on from what we saw in Reign of the Superman. So I just feel like a lot of it tied it into the universe and that doesn't that doesn't bother me. No, it's fine. It worked. It worked as a context with everything else. I'm trying to decide when to ask you about what you thought about the change to the ending. Let's go with what did you like first? What did you like? What was, what were your high points of this film? Um, I loved the car scene with Damien. Oh, that's hilarious. Use protection, Dad. I hear well, you've sorry, met father. Any... We would never call him Dad. Father. Why are you dating this trollop? <laughs> I call you that all the time. Oh, thanks. Okay, other highlights? Anything with Nightwing, probably, for you? Yeah, they were all good. I, I do like a bit of Nightwing. I quite like the... The jovialness between Batman and Nightwing and the whole sort of relationship and how they sort of saw that as a bit, bit of a joke. I think Sean May is a really good um, Nightwing. He's a really good... And Dick as well. He's a good Dick Grayson and a good Nightwing. You know, I worked with him. I thought it was very well done. I guess this must be... I'm sure he's played him before. So I'm going to guess this isn't the first time that Jason O'Mara, and this is without pausing to IMDb, Jason O'Mara and Sean Mayer have played Batman and Nightwing together, so I guess they've probably built up a bit of a rapport over the years. Definitely plays out well on screen. It does. It felt very natural. Other high points? I like the dynamic between Batman and Catwoman. I thought that was very well done. Considering that they made the relationship between Batman and Catwoman more of the forefront of the movie, it needed to work, and it really works very, very well. There were a couple of bits I was like, "Ooh, it's a bit, uh, bit racy from a movie." What when they uh, when they got nudie in a freezer, and nudie in a freezer, nudie in a shower. <laughs> it was all just a bit like, "Ooh, they couldn't be really uh, keep their hands off each other." No, but I suppose that's you know new romance and all that. <laughs> uh, they rendered the young love. The famous Jim Lee scene of the two of them kissing on a rooftop was done quite well, I thought. One of the major things is probably that the film doesn't change its animation style from the other films that came before it. So I and I can guarantee that there's going to be some people out there that would think, oh, this doesn't look very Jim Lee. This doesn't look like they adapted Jim Lee's artwork. And I did think that to begin with. But then the rational side of me thought, well, actually, why would they do that? Because this is in the same universe. It has a very well-set style. So you wouldn't change the style of the animation for one film for the sake of, a, of an artist, even if it's, you know... Jim Lee, I bow. I'm bowing. I mean, I'm sure he won't mind. 
I'm sure he won't, this uh, six art cards of his artwork in the Blu-ray, which I'm very, very happy about and need a frame for. Yeah, well, they're very nice. Yes. Anything else that you want to pick out as the things that you really liked? No, I, just, I really liked it overall, to be honest with you. I thought it was really good. I think things for me... I really liked that they wrote in a reason to, for uh, Bruce to change from the black cowl to a blue cowl so that he was coloured in line with how he was in the book. They managed to put that in the story quite legitimately. I like that. I really liked Jason Spursak as uh, Joker. This was his first time playing the Joker, and it's only really a cameo for him, but I thought he did it really well. That was um, one of the covers that I loved from the Hush series as well, when Joker's on the ground and Batman's got his hands around his neck. So they recreated that fairly well as well, I thought. And then I just thought Jennifer Morrison was amazing as Catwoman. She was a really good Catwoman. I would almost want to see her play that in live action as well. Oh, that'd be interesting. She had really good chemistry with Jason O'Mara, I thought. They played really well off each other. And there were certain scenes where I just think she had a really great control over how to use her voice. I said this in my review, which you can read now, actually, over on the website. It came out uh, on Monday. But if you think about her in Once Upon a Time, she's a very warm character. She's a very sort of loving, warm character. And she has a very sweet voice and she's you know she's very nice she's very innocent like a disney princess would be but she can play the other side of catwoman really well so i think like her selena and her catwoman are quite different so bruce and selena together are quite playful and flirty but batman and catwoman are quite dark and flirty sensual (laughs) sexual i don't know you know what i mean though there's a darker side to it when they're both in their costumes there you can tell the difference there and they're things that i hadn't expected to hear from her voice yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, I see what you mean. A very good performance is what I'm trying to say. It was, it was. I thought when he unmasked himself to her as well, she played the surprise really well. It wasn't sort of it wasn't like a oh my god, it's Bruce Wayne. <gasps> Bruce Wayne. I knew you were gonna do that. That's why I paused. Um I just thought she I thought she played it really well in that she still sounded surprised even though it was a you know, scene they may have recorded 40 times over. And I just, I felt her performance was very, very honest and it was really well. Things you maybe didn't like? Anything? Um, I'm not mad on the ending. Which bit? The reveal of Hush or Silencio. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we'll, we'll get to the elephant in the room, which is the big change. So... Um, I've realised I've not mentioned so far in the uh, hour and two minute unedited version of this podcast that I've not mentioned the word spoilers. Oh, uh, not done the red alert. No. Um, but thank you for the positive feedback on the red alert sign that I used in the last one. Uh, no one was sort of triggered by any form of PTSD from it and no one said that it was really horrifically annoying. Uh, but this next couple of minutes will have major spoilers So, Hush is not Tommy Elliot. That is a major change from the source material. Tommy Elliot is still in it. Tommy Elliot is still part of the mystery. And you will expect that Tommy Elliot is Hush through most of the film. And then he won't be. Instead, it's the Riddler. Who, you'll remember if you've read the comic book, is the person who is pulling Hush's strings. So the Riddler is behind everything in the comic book but isn't Hush himself. Now he is Hush. And Tommy Elliot is in fact dead. 
So when you think he's dead in the book and then it's revealed that actually he's alive, he is actually just dead here. I didn't. I honestly didn't mind it. I don't know. I think it was the. I think it would have worked fine. It's just the, the question mark scar on his forehead. Okay, so I didn't quite bother to think this through in terms of that when I watched it either the first time or the second time. Were we trying to suggest that? So the Riddler has a brain tumor, uh, that was operated on, and then didn't. Oh no, they couldn't take away the tumor when they operated on, so they closed him up. And then he went and used a Lazarus pit to heal himself, but that was only obviously temporary. Uh, so he took on the guise of Hush as his final sort of hurrah. Were we trying to suggest that the scar from his surgery was in the perfect shape of a question mark? Yes, I mean, I have real issue with this. There's no way that would have happened. Are you just failing to separate your medical training from, you know, the reality of a cartoon? Well, it's the little things that make it real. Okay, fair enough. It is, I mean, it's a perfect question mark. It is a perfect question mark. But it is a bit, it is a little bit on the uh, random side. That, that was probably my only issue. I was like, oh, why? Oh, why? okay, so you don't mind the change in character? Well, I would have liked it to have been Tommy, but ultimately it fit for the film, I suppose. And it is an adaption, and you've got to think of it as an adaption. It's not a direct transfer. Inspired by. Inspired, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, the first time I watched it, I thought, ooh, this is a bit weird. I wonder why they did this. But then... When you think about people who've read it, so even though you only read it recently, you, you knew what you were expecting. You were expecting a film in which this man, Tommy Elliot, comes back into Bruce Wayne's life, uh, is secretly a villain called Hush, manipulates every single member of the DC universe that's in the sort of the bat side of things, uh, to the point where Batman is completely like baffled by the whole thing, thinks that his friend has been killed, and at the end it turns out that actually his friend is now a villain, and the Riddler was masterminding all of this to just sort of confuse Batman. But the minute it's revealed that Tommy is actually genuinely dead in the film, the rug's ripped right out from underneath you and you actually don't know what's going on. So my argument would be that actually I probably enjoyed it more because I then didn't know what was going to happen. Rather than sitting there going, oh, well, I know exactly what's going to happen in this movie. This is going to happen and then this is going to happen and he's going to fight with Superman and then it's going to be his friend all along. La la la. Do you know what I mean, though? So you just you go from feeling very comfortable when you're watching it and thinking, "Oh, this is really safe because I know everything that's going to happen." To suddenly going, "Oh, actually, now I, I actually don't know what happens next." Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair enough. I but I quite like the comfortableness of it was a really good graphic. Oh well, I, yeah, there. I mean, there is that side to it that I mean, it was an ending that didn't necessarily need to be tampered with it anyway. I just I appreciate the fact that they gave me a surprise in something that I didn't think I would be surprised by. Yeah. But you know, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Oh, you do love a Baroque joke, don't you? So, what would you score this? I'm going to give this uh, a sugarly seven and a half. Sugarly? That's a Scottish wobbly for those people out there. A Scottish wobbly. Okay. So, I gave Batman Hush a seven out of ten in my review. I said, despite some potentially divisive deviations from the source material, Batman Hush is one of the most solid entries into the DC animated universe. Jennifer Morrison steals the show as Selina Kyle Catwoman, and her chemistry with Jason O'Mara as Batman is explosive. Whilst it will be difficult for some to watch, if you can park your preconceived ideas, it's an incredibly enjoyable Batman experience. I can't... You gave it a higher score than me. It's a sugarly one, though. (laughs) I don't think that's ever happened before. 
So Batman Hush is available now on uh, digital as well as DVD and Blu-ray. It came out on Monday and we have a copy to give away. Ooh. Who would like a copy of Silencio? So we have a copy of the film to give away on Blu-ray and for your chance to win a copy of this, simply watch the trailer and answer us this question. So according to Catwoman in the trailer, what is the only thing that Batman will catch? Is it A, the view, B, smoke, or C, hush? So send us your answer on Twitter. Uh, what I will do is, uh, after this podcast episode launches, I'll put a tweet out with the, the details and the terms and conditions. And if you reply to that tweet with your answer, we will select one lucky winner who will win a copy of Hush on Blu-ray, courtesy of our friends at Warner Brothers. So I have to say a massive thank you to them for uh, partnering with us on that one, which is very, very nice of them. They've been very good to us over the last sort of 12 months since we first got in touch with them. And uh, cool. Look forward to doing a bit more with them in the future. Hopefully more competitions to come. Yeah. Right, back to you and your classic comic book. Give us a clue. So it is DC, obviously. Obviously. Because, you know, I don't read anything other than DC. Apart from Reverse, you know. Yes. I would go are... back for another one. So it's DC. Um, and again, it, it follows the theme. Swamp Thing. Hmm. It's not Hush. Okay. Um... So it's not Swamp Thing? No, because we've done that theme. Okay. Um, and it's not Hush that we were just talking about? No. And it's not Asterix, because you've never read Asterix? No. Okay. What theme are we following? The listeners at home can't see your eyebrows going up your forehead as you're looking at me as if to say, Oh, it's a surprise! About making a face. So what are we talking about after this section? Oh, we are talking about Titans. So are you doing Teen Titans? I'm doing a Teen Titans. And is it a Wolfman and Perez? No, it's a Jeff Johns. Oh. Oh, come on. You could have gone a bit older than that. That's what, like 10 years, Max? Well, um, I don't know. It was in 2000. That's nearly 20 years ago. Oh, my God. Seriously. It's 2019 now. All right. Okay, I'll give you that one. So tell us all about it. So this is, I'm being awkward, this is volume two of um, Jeff John's Teen Titan with pencils by Mike McCoon. So this is almost like the reboot. So I know there was the, they had that sort of dark period of time where the readership fell off for Teen Titans and then Jeff does like to bring back sort of the unloved group. He does love to bring back an unloved comic. And you know, he does it so well. So this is, his, um, this is his version of bringing back um, Teen Titans. So this is a, a reasonably classic lineup of the Titans. So we've got a Superboy. We've got Nightwing, Dick Grayson. We've got Raven. We've got Starfire. We've got Donna Troy. And we've got all the ones we're used to seeing. So book two in this series really focuses... The first half of it really focuses on Beast Boy. Okay. Because he's not a member of the Titans at this point, so after they disbanded... Is he a member of the Doom Patrol? He's not a member of the Doom Patrol either. He's sort of not really doing very much at the minute. So he's kind of... He's a bit lost. So he was a famous TV star, movie star... Oh, so that's actually a thing that happens in Young Justice. Yeah, and he was on this the cat, the the set of... What's this? The Prager, like Space Trooper or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's all sort of falling apart now. So he's a bit lost. Uh, so Okay, that's cool. So we kick off with a bit of a backstory about Beast Boy. So, you know, it goes back to his time in the Doom Patrol. Interesting. 
And he talks about his mum, his mum being Rita Farr. Of course, yes. Uh, but not his, not his real mum, she's more of an adopted mum. Yeah. Um, and that's why he went into acting, because of her inspiration, basically. Oh, uh, okay. And the whole thing about, because when, obviously, that version of the Doom Patrol, so the ones that we're used to seeing on the great and glorious DC Universe, were yes. wiped out. Okay. Um, so Madame Ouge killed Rita Farr. And that's when sort of Beast Boy lost his way a bit and then found the Titans and then they supported him through Finds that. his purpose again. Finds his purpose again and then becomes a TV star. And then the old Titans sort of disbanded and then Jeffy came in and gave them a bit of, a bit of life again. I realise that people are going to think that I'm like some sort of weird sound effect track because as you talk I just do things like go, oh, oh, okay, hmm. So the, the, the magic behind us is he's actually not in the room. It's just me pushing the button. Oh. <laughs> well, Continue. That was, that was bad. So yeah, so like I said, so the first half is about Beast Boy. Oh, is all about Beast Boy and him coming back to. He's coming back to LA basically to try and have a go at things again, and it's really interesting because he's really upset that the Titans have reformed, but they haven't phoned him to say, "Hey, come join the team again." Why didn't they call him? Well, I don't know. They've just been a bit wrapped up in their own stuff, really. So it's quite it's quite funny. So he kind of he goes through trying to get back into work, and we get a couple blasts from the past. So he's living with his cousin, who's a bit of a layabout, and he's a writer, um, and he's not famous anymore. So nobody's interested. Nobody wants to give him any work because he's not getting any press. And then it all goes a bit wrong because then there's a an evil version of him, and all chaos breaks out. And then we get a bit of um, we see some members of Titans West appear. Who's in Titans West? So I can't remember who, exactly who is in it, but Flamebird is the oh, main yeah. member of Titans West in this in this episode, this issue. And then obviously we've got Titans East as well, but they're not mentioned very much. Um, so it's quite good. It's really fun. Um, I really enjoyed reading the first half because it's all about Beast Boy and the backstory to Beast Boy and how he got his powers and how his real parents died. And it was quite good. I really enjoyed that. And then the second half of the... The novel is quite long, so it's three hundred and ten. To call pages. it a novel, a novel, yeah, it's quite long, three hundred and eight pages, and then the second half switches back to the Titans, but then it takes it into the future, and then they work with the Legion. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's quite cool. So Superboy gets sort of sucked into the future, and he becomes a fully fledged member of the Legion, and then it focuses on the fearsome five. And how they're doing some like weird timey wimey stuff. So the Fearsome Five is Fearsome Five, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. So the Fearsome Five, they then pull every version of themselves from time in the multiverse to take down the Legion. So then the Legion pull all the versions of the Titans and other young heroes from time to help defeat them. So it's quite cool. You've just told us about your highlights, so I'm not going to ask you about that. Anything that you didn't enjoy in this? It doesn't sound like it. No, I loved it. I read it really quickly. Actually, I took my couple of days and was like, I want more. I want to read more of this. Give me a little sneaky peek of the artwork. So let me find you a good one. So here's a here's a sneaky peek of Madame Rouge and the Doom Patrol. That's quite a classic looking comic book for you as well. Um, I would say that looks like comic books I used to read in the nineties. Well, it's the very well, it's two thousand, so it is very yeah, it's probably the end of the nineties. Yeah. It's got a sort of X-Men the Animated Series vibe to it. Good colours, but also quite shadowy at the same time. Yeah, it's quite cool. Well, there we go. We get a, we get a screenshot of Titans East as well. Interesting looking team. 
So Titans East has got, well, you've got Flamebird, you've got a Shazam Kid, the blue one. You've got Ravenger. Um, Cyborg. Oh, Rose Wilson. You've got... Flamebird. You've got Flamebird, yep. And Tara as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Cyborg, who looks like he's got boobs. Well, it's, it's metal, isn't it? It's, you know, he's, he's just feeling like he's had, a, he's had an upgrade that day. So why should people read this book? I think it's a really cool book. Um, if you're a fan of Titans and Teen Titans, it's just a nice delve into their history and it kind of, it's a bit of world building, really. Okay. It's also a nice bit of backstory to Beast Boy as well, even just for that point of view. Cool. Uh, the panel that you have on your screen right now, that is quite a uh, muscly starfire. Is a very, she is very muscly though. That's she's that's very quite muscly, scary. Very, um, that's like a bodybuilder. Yeah, she's like three times the size of Connor. Well, he's in the distance, isn't he? I can't quite understand the perspective because her Tara's arm, Tara's arm, is in front of Connor, and Starfire is behind Tara's head. Oh, it's so, just a really weird angle, isn't it? It's like her arm's been dislocated and sorry, stuck I've on the back of her head. Just ruined the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good book, guys. <laughs> Go and read it. Even if you just read the first half so you can get the Beast Boy stuff. I was about to say, that was going to be my next question, was why should people read this book? So I would think purely for a bit of nostalgia and some, you know, some Titans love. Go check it out. And where can people pick it up? Where all good comics are sold. I've trained you so well. Alrighty, last topic for this week. Uh, we asked you on social media what you wanted us to talk about for our discussion. Uh, I gave you two options, which was Crisis on Infinite Earths, given that we've got plenty of announcements as to people who are and aren't going to be in it. And then I said it was between Crisis on Infinite Earths and the Titan Season 2 trailer that dropped at the beginning of the week as a big old surprise for all of us. And, um, well, you voted in your uh, in your droves and... 70 odd percent of you went for went for Titans season two I didn't vote for Titans did you vote for Crisis? no I voted for Titans (laughs) (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say I can't see you not voting for Titans somehow Okay, so I'm sure you've all seen this by now. This We saw a couple of pictures from it at San Diego Comic-Con and then uh, DC actually accidentally posted it to their YouTube channel for all of about five minutes, then took it down, and then it came out a couple of days later. Uh, but just in case you haven't, here is the trailer for Titans Season 2. See, so you made the news with your old Titans friends. new ones too. Titans are back, bitches! <laughs> There are no sidekicks in Titans. We're partners. We have each other's back. This is the new Titans. Crypto. So what are we? Titans 2.0? Titans the next generation.
Right, so Titans returns on DC Universe from the 6th of September with new episodes. Uh, we now know that the first episode is called Trigon, so that you know tallies up well with season one. And uh, if you are outside America and you're watching on Netflix, you will see that the Titans page now has uh, a little banner on there that says new season coming soon. So season two will be coming to Netflix in the near future. So I did a deep dive on this trailer, uh, which you can see over on our website now. I pulled out some of my favourite bits from there um, and screenshot them and did a bit of commentary as to what I think they are and how they tally up with what I think the storyline of Season 2 is going to be. So if you're kind of looking for that more information side of things, head over to the website and check that out. What we're going to do now is we're going to look at the questions that I asked people on, uh, on social media and I want to hear your responses too, Maddie, to these ones. So the first question I asked was, question one, what was your favourite moment in the new trailer? So we had uh, Max Byrne, who's at Max Byrne, who said, Bruce and Dick walk in the corridors of Wayne Manor, a rare sight to see in live action, which is very true. I, in fact, we've not seen that since George Clooney and, uh, <laughs> yeah, Chris O'Donnell days. Then we had Rob from Earth9DC, that Robster, who said, Titans are back, bitches! And uh, Daily Geekly, which is at Cape of Justice, who's just said, Crypto! Some really good choices there, I think. So, um, what was yours? So, the classic lineup in their costumes walking towards the screen, all badass. Yeah, so I say that I'm 99.9% .9 sure that's a flashback. Oh, it has to be a flashback. I think there are a number of flashbacks that we maybe don't realise are flashbacks in this trailer, just because of the amount of time we see um, Dick in the Robin costume. I would agree, and they're all looking a bit sort of carefree and like yeah we're titans yeah bitches it's, it's really difficult to say what my favourite moment is there's just so many I love the titans are back bitches line um, seeing uh, Connor Leslie in the, the Wonder Girl costume for the first time is awesome seeing Dick back in the Robin costume is cool as well because I, I wish we got to spend some more time with it Raven with the um, with the gem on her for it's all just, it's like it's screaming titans at me now which is just really cool I just I don't know what would be my favourite one moment you can say all of it all of it's amazing yeah I think it, it just has to be all of it doesn't it I'll try and be more specific going forwards so question two which returning character are you most excited for for which actually uh, most people uh, responded said uh, Jason Todd He's a very, very big fan favourite. And then we had, uh, so Max Byrne, who also answered the last question, said Crypto. <laughs> of course, we did see Crypto in the Stinger in season one. So we've seen him once already with his glowing eyes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a redundant question. But uh, so, Martin, tell us, who is your favourite returning character? Oh, no, it's really difficult. Can I just say Robin? No, you have to pick one. Robins. <laughs> Which one? I'm interested to see more of Grayson and where he, and how he develops into Nightwing. Okay. I want to see that. I expected you to say Jason Todd. Well, you know, I don't I think Jason's got a long way to go before he gets to, you know... Bludgeoned with a crowbar? Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how he, how this all feeds in together and what and what path that's going to take and how quickly that may or may not happen. I, I, again, this is a really difficult one for me to pick because... All the characters are really good, and it seems like they've all moved on quite a lot. We don't get to see a huge amount of Hawk and Dove in the trailer. There's a couple of shots of each. Be are interesting to see them. Are those flashbacks? Could well be. But we know that they're... 
Remember that we we left them at the end of season one on their way to Trigon's house, though. That's true. With Jason, we must get yeah. Jason. Uh, and clearly, that moment. So the 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 whole Titans are back, bitches moment is clearly after that fight, because that ties in with what Bruce says. So you see the the line that Bruce speaks before you see Jason say that is, "Oh, you know, I saw you on the news with your old Titans pals and some new ones." So then Jason is in front of the cameras when he says that. He's in front of a TV camera. So clearly the press pick up on what's happening in that fight and then are there when it's all over. It's great to see a new version of Starfire. I I don't want to bash the costume that she wore in the last season, but she looks a lot better this her, season. Her disco dress. It wasn't really a costume. Oh, you love the disco dress. I love the disco Starfire. I, I don't mind the dress so much. I think it was the hair. I, the the really 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 curly wig was just not doing it for me. Oh, I don't know. I went with the outfit. <laughs> Thank you, style expert. Um, again, Raven with the gem. She's got also got a different haircut this season, which looks a little bit less severe than the wig she was wearing last season. Uh, a bit more natural. I, do you know what? I'm really inclined to say that Donna Troy is my favourite. Oh, I do love Donna. That was my favourite episode. In series one, so I'm excited to see yeah, more of her. She was a lovely character. She was a really sweet character, and I, I remember us talking about it when we podcasted about Titans. But I loved the fact that they didn't make the relationship between Donna and Dick at all sexual. There was no romantic chemistry between them whatsoever. They were just like a brother and sister, and I, I don't know why, but that just was really nice and refreshing to see. But Connor Leslie just seems really lovely as well. Like I follow her on social media, and she just she's quite a keen photographer, which is really cool. And she takes some amazing photographs, but she just seems like a, they all seem like really nice people, which in a way is frustrating. Where's the like? Where's the ego? Where's like the I should be the Titan at the front? No. Everyone's just really nice, and they all get on, and they all go out for dinner together, and they all walk each other's dogs, and they all go running together and train together, and it's all just a bit like you're all just a really happy family of people. Oh, I just want to be friends with them. <laughs> well, you can only hope that when we go to New York Comic Con in October that they might be there. I want to go disco dancing with... I don't know that Anna Diop goes disco dancing when she's not dressed as Starfire. Well, she's got to get into character. <laughs> I don't know that disco dancing is how she gets into character. Well, she got into character disco dancing with the rapper. I'm really sorry to say that episode 20 of this podcast is where we have clearly taken some sort of psychotropics. <laughs> on to the next question question three which new character has got you the most excited so we saw plenty of new characters in this trailer um the previous take of this question that you didn't hear was where martin talked over me by instantly answering the question before i'd given him the option um plenty you get to see superboy for the first time you've got aqualad you've got ravager you've got jericho uh, Bruce Wayne is even a new character, actually, to be fair. Um, so, throwing it open to Twitter, we've got We Have a Hulk, We Have a Hulk Pod, hello Nicola, uh, who said, Crypto! Everyone loves Crypto! Everyone loves the Super Dog! Um, and she put, oh, and Superboy, of course. Then James Stone at StoneJ666 says, Is that Aqualad? It'd be really interesting to see how they use him in the show without the CGI budget of the movies. To which I then said, It is, but it's. Um, it's the Garth version of Aqualad and not Calderam. So this is the version that eventually grows up to be Tempest. Get you. I thank you very much. I have done my Googling. Max also replied on that one. He, uh, he answered all the questions. So Max gets a gold star. 
who says Superboy. And Daily Geekly says, has to be Superboy. He definitely looks the part. I would agree. I think the Superboy scenes in the trailer were... Well, actually, to be fair, he's only in a couple of them. Um, you've got one very naked, very wet scene, which is clearly as he's breaking out of Cadmus, and then the one shot of him in the classic black and red T-shirt. I just think that black and red shot is... I don't know. He doesn't even say anything or do anything. It's just perfect. It is very exciting. You lost the power of speech for a minute, then all you could do was nod. <laughs> just smile. I'm like, I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, I, I guess it remains to be seen what it will be like when we see him act. Maybe he's like the hammiest actor on the planet. It'll be awful. Um, but certainly, if he stands still and doesn't say anything like he does in that scene, then he'll be a perfect Superboy. Um, so really excited to see what he does with that part and how much he's in it as well when he comes into it and how they find out about him. And which version of Superboy is he? It's got to be Connor, surely. It's not going to be John. Well, not obviously that, but which which mixture is he? Is he Superman? Is he Lex? Has he got telekinetic powers? Is he classic? Is he New 52? Because they've got very different genetic makeup and where they've come from. We shall find out when the show returns on September the 6th, then, won't we? Who was yours? I'm going to say Superboy. Yeah. Just because it's very exciting. I, uh, it has to be Superboy. Dare I ask who yours is? Yeah, no, I would go Superboy as well. I, I was expecting you to say something else. Not Crypto. No. Not Aqualad. No. Ravager and Jericho both look pretty cool. Yeah, no, not them. Not Batman. Not well, Batman. not Bruce. Um, who am I missing? Slade! <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, uh, oh, damn. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, you missed it now. Yeah, the last shot in the in the trailer, of course, does reveal. Slade! <laughs> I kind of hope that they call him that just once, just so that they can do it. It'll be a really fun nod to the cartoon for just at some point for them to call him Slade. But my, my thought on this is that the, the flashback stuff that we see in the trailer is going to be the first time the Titans came across Deathstroke and that then he will somehow have come back in the present day or his kids will have come back depending on what's happened in between and that the story's going to play out in two different timelines so that we get to see the whole Deathstroke family the whole sort of Jericho debacle perhaps they'll bring out some I don't know some paperwork maybe a, a contract whose contract would it be no, maybe I'm one of the apostles. <laughs> Jeff Johns did say that they were going to do the Judas contract at some point. He said he would like to build up towards it. So you never know, maybe. Two more questions. Next question. I'm really looking forward to your response on this one. Um, and I'm going to try and read out the responses that we got on Twitter without laughing. But question four. Dick Grayson or Jason Todd? like Sophie's Choice now that we've seen that film so Max said don't laugh dick all the way and then oh hi Jamie at Jamie T number one said always has been and always will be dick God, I'm getting flashbacks to your birthday party we don't talk about that and a very rude game of things that people google just to change it to innuendo bingo yes so Dick Grayson or Jason Todd. What if I say Dick Todd? Is that weird? 
That's trying to mash up two different robins into one. That's not allowed. So I think in this variation and in this show, it would have to be Grayson. I would agree. We Jason is awesome. I really like the way they've written him in the show, and I think Curran Walters does an amazing job of playing him. But we're too early for him to really get to be anything other than a pain in the ass. So he's awesome, and he's good to have around. And I hope that it leads to something. Could be really great for Dick down the line to lose Jason. If this universe maybe plays uh, Jason as more of uh, Dick's sort of sidekick than Batman's, if you know, if in some sort of way they make Dick more of the mentor, then actually it could be a very interesting sort of season three, season four storyline to have him have to deal with losing Jason the way Batman did in the comics. Bit of a twist on a storyline, but you know, could happen. Yeah, it could happen. And final question. Question five. What are your hopes for season two of Titans? I don't think I've got any hopes. I think they could just do whatever they wanted and I would still love it. I think at this point Twitter had gotten bored with me asking questions, but Max did reply and said, a Bruce Wayne Slade Wilson face-off and also some form of Superman reference or cameo. Oh, we could get a bit of soups in there, couldn't we? Well, in theory, he's going to find out that there's a clone of him out there in the world, so he's going to want to know. Maybe in Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> Controversial. No. Um, I don't know what my hopes are. Just that it's awesome. Which it will be. I think more world-building would be really exciting. It's funny, though, because now that we've had... Um, a full season of Titans, full season of Doom Patrol, full series of Swamp Thing, and nearly an entire season of Young Justice. People look at Titans and say it's probably the wobbliest, weakest of the four. Sugarly. But it seems to be the one that people are the most excited for. Oh, I know what I'm most excited for. Okay. We're missing one Titan. Cyborg? No, he's in Doom Patrol. I know, but he's a Titan. Yeah, but I'm not. We've seen him. Okay. Terra? No. Purple blocky man? He's a... No, he's a new Titan. We want... Like, we're missing a classic original member Titan. Blue Beetle? No! A speedster. We're missing Wally. Oh, we're missing Wally! Yeah. God, you Wally. Sorry, I've gone to a Young Justice place. I mean, you've got Young Justice, Teen Titans, and Titans. They're all very similar rosters of people. No, I can't forgive you for that one. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Every single one features a Robin and a Speedster. Yeah, and okay. Superboy. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you those three. We should, so we should have went to a Wally place. Okay. Yes, no, it's true. We do need a Speedster. That could be interesting. Maybe that'd be the, the end of series two teaser. I've been trying to think and wrap my head around what could be an end of season two teaser. You might just have hit the nail on the head there. Or maybe we'll get a, a speedy or an arsenal as well. We'll be speedy to start with. Roy? Because that'd be really good to have Roy and Jason together. It would be really good to have Roy and Jason together. I think that would fill your little... Red Hood and the Outlaw's heart with glee. It would. Anything else you want to say about this trailer? 
No, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything because we could spend another hour talking about it. Easily. I feel, I feel and, like people uh, are bored of listening to us now. Unedited, we're currently running at one hour and 36 minutes right now. So I think we need to uh, curb our enthusiasm and park that for another day. Titans returns on DC Universe on the 6th of September. And we will let you know as soon as it's got an air date internationally and we can get it back here in the UK. Season 1 is currently out on Blu-ray and DVD in America. You can pick that up. I've imported my copy and I can confirm that it is regionless but it is actually also being released in the UK on DVD and Blu-ray in October. You can pre-order your copy now from the WB store. That is it for the 20th edition of Get Your Comic Con. Just a reminder that we have a hash competition. You can either rewind 20 minutes backwards or answer the question of what does Catwoman say uh, is the only thing that Batman will catch in the trailer? Is it A, the view, B, smoke, or C, hush if you let us know on twitter on the competition tweet then uh, you will put your name in the hat to win a copy of hush courtesy of our friends at warner brothers no. so we've got a few things lined up between now and the next episode we will hopefully have caught up with and maybe finished young justice we will have <laughs> i will have been to see the informer which is a new warner brothers movie coming out with uh, joel kinnaman from suicide squad and we will have been to the edinburgh fringe festival fingers crossed it's not raining in edinburgh it probably will be raining there. <laughs> oh well. I haven't got a challenge for you for next time either because I haven't thought one up. I might do between now and then. If you've got any ideas, super friends, for a challenge for uh, for young Martin for a comic book review, then uh, let us know on Twitter at Get Your Comic Con. Until next time. Bye. bye.